listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning. This is, uh, this is Nathan Schultz, and he serves as our website director. Uh, he made our website, he and his wife did, and then he manages it from week to week when we need things changed. He also does the, uh, the podcasting for us, so he takes the, the weekly messages, he puts it out there for you to be able to catch up on. You, you, they, surely they know that all they got to do is go to the website, and they'll be able to catch up if they ever miss a week, but they never miss a week, so they probably, it's just overkill anyway. So, they didn't laugh real hard at that. Okay. So, at any rate, Beth, Nathan had a stroke in 2011. And they've been with us since like 2017, right? Because I remember y'all came in the pirate family Bible time. That was a fun one if you were here for the pirates. So they've been with us for a while and just a tremendous blessing. So we want Nathan to be a part of being able to read the scripture as well. But because of the stroke, he's unable to do that. He knows it. He got it there. It's just the going from here to getting out. And the reading is, it's just a, it's amazing what God has done in his life, uh, restoring him uh, for his own glory. And we're very thankful for Nathan. So in a very unique way on this blue microphone, He's going to read our text this morning, which is Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through chapter 23, verse 25. Take it away, Nathan. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he'd heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length. But he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. 
and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's going to try. There are some of you that are saying, oh, I'll do that next week. Because I've asked some of you to read, and you're like, I ain't doing that. Like, that's so hard. I guess it is. That's just the, the public speaking thing is, I think, one of almost everyone's greatest phobias. But Nathan, thank you. Thank you for being faithful to, uh, to your family. I appreciate that. Um, you know, Nathan nor any other man is a perfect husband. I was expecting a lot of female voices say amen on that, but you didn't. But Nathan got a, a tremendous, their whole family got a tremendous curveball thrown at them not too many years ago uh, that changed his entire dynamic. Do you realize that, uh, no, some of you do, some of you don't. Um, Nathan could do what I do, plus what a lot of the folks on this stage do musically, wrote music, and, and put together curriculums. Nathan was uh, really a multifaceted in talent and, uh, and, and opportunity. But yet, in God's sovereignty, allowing the brokenness of our human bodies to affect him, I, li- I like to think a lot about Job when Satan said to God, but, but God, if you just let me mess with him a little bit, he'll curse you. And God says, well, go ahead. And Job was faithful, and he remained true. And I just kind of like to think about Nathan being a modern-day Job in our midst, that very possibly God might have even said, well, okay, go ahead. Mess with him physically, and I'll show you that his heart is tuned toward me. So, Nathan, I thank you for being faithful, for being a uh, uh, persistent servant. Now, he gets a little frustrated with me sometimes. Um, We sit together and we try to work together. He gets a little aggravated with me. And I'll tell you, on on a very rare occasion, I get aggravated with him too. 
But that's okay, because we're working together, and I'm just thankful that, uh, that God brought you guys here, and uh, we're just looking forward to what else he has in store for us and for his kingdom as a result of, of their ministry as a family. Beth, kids, thank you so much. We, uh, we are honored by you being a part of us. One of the words that has become very fluid in our culture is the word justice. You, you hear that word justice, and it depends on the context on what most people mean. When a crime happens, then immediately there are cries for justice, for the perpetrator of the crime to be, to be uh, apprehended and, and tried and, and brought to this fluid word, justice. But at the very same time, we see folks that have gone through the process of our system in this country, which is not perfect. There are folks in prison who are innocent. That is true. But at the same time, most of the folks that are in prison are found guilty. We can come to the end of the process when they've stood trial, they've gone through the justice system, and a verdict is read that we feel like does not represent what our opinions of whether the person did or did not commit the crime, and then we can make a statement like, well, justice wasn't served today. The verdict was read, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a shame that justice wasn't served because it depends on the context, and we use that word in a very fluid manner. The reality of the fact is, is that God alone is capable of mitigating true justice because He is holy and righteous and knows all. And God is qualified to roll out justice as it is compared to His holiness and righteousness. But within the realm of human estimation... When we say justice, if we're going to use the word as it is classically and is, and is meant to be understood, that is to mean justice is that the procedure for determining truth or falsehood has been carried out as it was intended, according to the rules of adjudication, so that at the end of it, all of the processes were completed correctly and within the boundaries of the law, so that justice is in fact served even when the verdict is read, and we all disagree with the verdict. You think about the cases that, that have come across in your lifetime where the person has been allowed to go free and public opinion has been across the board. He did it. And why is it always a he? Yeah, but he did it. I know he did. They let him off, but I know everybody knows he did it. And we say, well, it's too bad for justice. No, in fact, it's not too bad for justice. If the processes have been completed according to the rules and the rights that have been delegated. So when we look at today's passage, we're seeing an attempt to put before the people 
that justice is being served. But in fact, what is happening is completely and utterly illegal. What Jesus goes through is the process of three illegal religious trials. He goes through three um, rubber-stamped civil trials that ends up in an unjust, incorrect verdict. Yet he, the Savior, continues to walk obediently toward the place that he knows that from eternity past he was intended to go because of his great love for you and for me and for his great heart of obedience and steadfastness to his own father. Okay, just caught me. I said steadfastness. It's not, I'm steadfast. He's steadfast. I always count on Cade to catch those words for me. So we're going to look at the trials. We're going to look at the trials. We're going to look at the verdict. And then we're going to look at the Savior. Okay? But in order to do that, we've got to deviate away from the Gospel of Luke. Now, we've had opportunities to do this before. There are times that we could have said, let's deviate from Luke and go and see what Mark or Matthew or John has to say. And, and, and we could have been in this Gospel forever. So we've, we've tried to avoid some of that. But in this instance... I think it's important that we do take a minute to see what Luke did not share in full. Now, Luke gives us a little bit of a hint of what's happening. In the verses that we studied last week, we saw that Luke records Jesus being betrayed in the garden and arrested and taken from the garden to the high priest's home where then he picks up the story and and tells us about Peter's interaction in the courtyard of the high priest's home. While things are going on in that home, we're hearing about Peter's activities in the courtyard. And we know what Peter ends up doing. He ends up doing exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. He denied him three times before the rooster crowed. Mark tells us two times. He had already disowned him with curses and with swearing. What was going on in the house or the, 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 the housing area of the high priest is very important. And John and, and Mark both tell us about the events that's happening. So we want to look at the sixth trials, although some of them would be maybe more accurately defined as hearings. But we're going to call them trials just for uniformity. We're going to look at six of them. Two of them, let's go to other Gospels. The first trial we see from John's Gospel, chapter 18, where Jesus is taken from the garden and brought to the the housing of a man named Annas, who was the former high priest, who was still around and functionally still very much in charge like a godfather would be in a mob movie, even though others may have the title, the old man still runs the show. They take him from the garden to the dwelling of the father-in-law of the high priest. Here's what John 18, 12 to 14 tells us. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him 
And first they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. I'm going to jump to verse 19. And the high priest... Now, don't, don't, don't think that, that John is referring now to Caiaphas, the high priest. Think of this more like when a president ends his term, and yet for the rest of his life we continue to call him Mr. President, even though he's not the functioning president at that time. Very similar. So we pick up 19. It's still Annas, Mr. High Priest, not acting, but was the former, and he's still around. Then the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. It seems that the old man has, has made up the mind that they're going to bring Jesus to him first. First of all, let's just find out just how deep this guy is entrenched. You know, he could just be a flash in the pan. This guy could just be some Johnny-come-lately, new kid in town kind of thing. Let me, let me question him. Before you guys get yourselves all in a tizzy, let me just find out first about how many disciples he thinks he's got. Let, let me find out how, how much of his teaching really is all that dangerous. So he started questioning about his teaching his disciples. Jesus answers him, I've spokenly, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what, who heard me what I said to them. They, they know what I said. And Jesus is not being a smart aleck, but this guy's asking, tell me about your teachings. He's like, sir, I, I've been teaching all week long. Uh, there's plenty of it. Some of the, your fellas have been around. Ask them what I'm teaching. I'm, I'm not doing anything in secret. Verse 22. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Now, plenty of folks get uh, questioned. Some of them have the privilege of getting to ride with one of Grady's finest to a place to get questioned in, in a nice air-conditioned room with whatever you, beverage you might like to have while they question you. And, and you know what? That's not where I ever want to be. All right? Never want to be in that room. But what I don't think is going to happen is as I'm being questioned and I'm trying to answer, I, I doubt that anybody, because they're on camera, is going to stand up from an official standpoint and punch me in the mouth because they don't like what I'm saying. You know why? Because that's against my rights. They can't assault me. I've not been arrested. They can't treat me that way because it's against the law. The same was true for Jesus. That he was standing in front of this questioning, this, this hearing, this unofficial, official thing according to them, and then to be struck because of what he said, because the guy standing next to him didn't like what he said, well, completely against the code of the leaders of the nation of Israel, against those that would stand as judges. That's why Jesus, in verse 23, answers him, said, if what I said was wrong, bear witness about the wrong. If I said something out of line, then show me what it is I said. But if what, if I, what, but if what I said was right, then why do you hit me? He's showing them off the bat. Um, guys, what you're doing right now is not correct. 
This is not lawful. What, what you're doing and, 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 and putting me through, I know it's good, but I need you to understand that I know that it's against the rules and it's not something we should be doing. At that, verse 24, Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now let me tell you how this works. They brought Jesus from the garden. They brought him to the house or the place where Annas was at. Peter followed them and was in the courtyard because in the residence of the high priest also lived Annas, his father-in-law. It was a place big enough for all of them. So, so into the court where Annas was and Peter's outside, that's where the first hearing was. It was illegal because Jesus had no representation. It was illegal because of some other things that I'm going to share with you in just a minute. But once Annas recognizes, okay, I'm not going to get anywhere with this guy. I'm not going to be able to intimidate this guy into backing down. So they send him across the way to where his son-in-law Caiaphas, who's the acting high priest, who has the funny hat and the, and the robe that he gets to wear, although he knows good and well who's really in charge, Caiaphas is across in his residence. Mark picks up the story there. Mark 14, 53, we see trial number two. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. Now, when somebody has a problem and they don't like to get corrected about their problem, then sometimes we might take uh, initiative and get all of our friends and family together and have them in a home and try to get our loved one to come in. And when they walk in, they discover that there's a bunch of folks that love them and they're ready to act on their behalf. We call that in our culture an intervention. A little different. What Jesus walks into is the presence of all of the legal factions that would decide whether or not he was guilty of what he's being accused of. The problem is, I don't know what I'm being accused of because no one's leveled any charges against me. So it would be very similar to you being pulled out of bed and dragged into a courtroom where there's a judge and everyone who's against you is sitting in the jury box and you're alone and a prosecutor's there and you're rubbing the sleep out of your eyes in the middle of the night. That's where Jesus arrives in the house of Caiaphas. Verse number 55. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Mark tells us exactly what the judicial system in Israel was seeking to do. They were looking for a reason to put Jesus to death. Why? Because the words of Jesus went contrary to their doctrine. Because the teachings of Jesus put them in a place of hypocrisy. Because the message that Jesus was saying was putting them in the place of needful repentance. And they didn't like it. They liked their place of power. They liked their connection to Rome. And Jesus threatened both of those things. So they're looking for a reason to convict him. We've seen this in the, in the passages leading up to where we are today. But verse number 56 tells us that they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. 
And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, Well, we heard him say, I'll destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony didn't agree. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? These charges are being leveled. These accusations are coming at you. Do you have nothing to say for yourself? What is it that these men testify against you? Verse 61 says, But he remained silent, and he made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. You see, Jesus wasn't hiding anything. Jesus wasn't trying to convince them that he was not something that he had claimed. He looked at them at their request and said, Yep. I am the Messiah. And from now on, you will see the Son of Man, a connection to Daniel chapter 7 in regards to the one that came under the authority of God, the Son of Man. All right, now he's talking about this one that's going to stand in God's, in in, in the place that God's provided. And you're going to see him coming. With power seated at the right hand. Well, now he's putting himself equal with the one on the throne. And that was all they needed to hear. Was that one claiming to be Messiah and uniquely connected to Yahweh. And the high priest, verse 63, tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. It means that they were beating him up and abusing him. I wrote my journal yesterday because I'm reading through with, with our students the, uh, the book of Mark. I'm a little bit ahead of them. Which, by the way, I don't think I sent you your passage for today, so I need that. Thank you, Amanda. I see you shaking your head. I forgot to do that. I was reading this passage in Mark, and I wrote, it's, it's hard for my mind to allow the realities of this event to, to really take. What I like to do is go, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, yep, I know about that, I know about that, crucifix, yeah, boy, I know about that, resurrection, and then that's where I like to stay. They abused God the Son. They mocked Him. They spit on Him. The one who said, let there be light. Now let the, let the, let the land and the sea take its proper place. The sun, moon, and stars, and, and animals, and birds, and fish, and, and now my, my, my prized creation. He creates mankind. And they're spitting on him. And they're beating on him. 
and they're kicking on him and they're making fun of him and he's just taking it. He's just taking it. You know, there's a prophet way back in their history that said, like a lamb to the slaughter, they take him. And like a sheep stands before those that would shear it of wool, kept his mouth closed. He received that abuse. He stepped into that abuse. He walked face first into that abuse. They all condemned him, verse 64, as deserving of death. Those are the first two trials that were illegal. Let me give you some reasoning why that is the case. These are rules according to their own documents called the Mishnah. The, the, the recording of, of the interpretations of the rabbis and the way they will do business. These are the rules that they set for capital trials. Rule number one, no trials were to occur during the night hours before the morning sacrifice. Illegal. Number two, trials were not to occur on the eve of a Sabbath or during a feast. Illegal. Rule number three, all trials were to be public. Secret trials were forbidden. Illegal. Rule number four, all trials were to be held in the hall of judgment in the temple area. Illegal. But hold your finger there. Because they're going to be slick here in just a moment. Rule number five, capital cases required a minimum of 23 judges. We don't know how many were there. Number six, an accused person could not testify against himself. Yet over and over they questioned Jesus asking him to convict himself. Illegal. Number seven, someone was required to speak on half of the accused. Even you'll be told if you're arrested that you have rights to an attorney. And if you can't afford one, one will be provided for you. Jesus had no advocate. Illegal. Rule number eight, conviction required the testimony of two or three witnesses To be in perfect alignment. Illegal. Rule number nine. Witnesses for the prosecution were to be examined and cross-examined extensively. Illegal. Rule number ten. Capital cases were to follow a strict order. Beginning with arguments by the defense. Then following with arguments for conviction. Illegal. All Sanhedrin judges could argue for acquittal. They could all stand together and argue that he was innocent. But not all could argue for conviction. What say you all? He's guilty of death. Illegal. Rule number 12. The high priest should not participate in the questioning. Yet, who's the one asking Jesus to convict himself? None other than the high priest Caiaphas himself. Illegal. First, uh, uh, rule number 13. 
Each witness in a capital case was to be examined individually, not in the presence of other witnesses. Rule number 14, the testimony of two witnesses found to be in contradiction rendered both invalid. Rule number 15, voting for conviction and sentencing in a capital case was to be conducted individually, starting with the youngest So younger members would not be influenced by the voting of the elder members. Illegal. Verdicts number 16 in a capital case were to be handed down only during daylight hours. Oh, well we can do that. Number 17... The members of the Sanhedrin were to meet in pairs all night to discuss a capital case and convene for the purpose of confirming the final verdict and imposing sentence. Illegal. Rule number 18, sentencing in a capital case was not to occur until the following day. Oh, well in that case, verse number 66, when day came. We've made up our mind. We've got our decision. We have our ducks in a row. Jesus has confessed to thinking himself Messiah and to believing that he is uniquely connected to God as the Son of Man. He is guilty and we are done with him. We're going to move forward with this sham. But we got to make sure that we cross a couple of T's And dot a couple of I's leaving dozens undone in the wake. When day came, the assembly got together in the temple. Just like they were supposed to. Having already decided what they're going to do. And they go through the kangaroo sham of a public trial. Way before anybody gets up. Not published. Not known by anybody. Because everybody's been asleep all night after they've celebrated the Passover. But the justice system has convened. Dawn has broken and we can make this thing legal. They got together and said, if you're the Christ, verse 67, tell us. He said, I will will tell you, but you won't believe. If I ask you, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? He said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own lips. Trial number one, middle of the night, illegal. Trial number two, bringing about a guilty verdict, illegal. Trial number three, trying to make it legal, trying to get it under the guise of anyone who would be looking that they did all the things right, illegal. No defense, no cross-examination, And asking the defendant to speak for himself. Illegal, illegal, illegal. But let's just be honest. They weren't looking for truth. They weren't looking for justice. They weren't looking for anything other than to get Jesus out of the way. And the clock is ticking on Friday. The clock is ticking. We've got very little time. Sabbath is coming. 
if we don't take care of this now, then we might have egg on our face come Sabbath and then the day after. So they immediately, verse 1 of 23, take him to trial number 4, the first of the civil trials. They take him to Pilate. They say to him, look, we're bringing this man who in verse number 2 of chapter 23, we've found him guilty of misleading our nation. Number two, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. And number three, saying that he's a king. We're bringing you this insurrectionist because his teachings are stirring up the folks. Mr. Governor, Mr. Pilate, if you don't take care of him, he's going to stir up the folks. And he's telling people not to pay their taxes to Caesar, which we all know is a big fat lie. Because Jesus had already said, render to Caesar the things that are, and render to God the things that are. He can tell them not to pay their taxes. Can you imagine if you were standing before a tribunal at sentencing and you'd not had your trial like you were supposed to have? Your rights had been violated. You'd not been provided a defense. And now they're lying about you. What would you be doing? You'd be screaming at the top of your lungs. They're lying about me. I haven't even had a trial. Is, is any reporter around so they can take my statement? The people have to know I'm being denied my rights. And yet Jesus stood silent. Why? Because he had already decided to enter into this path. And we say, why in the world? The answer is simple. It's at the end of this finger. If you'll take it and turn it and point it. That's why you, me. Pilate, I didn't care about what he was teaching. <laughs> he knew folks were going to pay their taxes. He had enough soldiers to make that happen. But I'm interested, Jesus, about this king thing. You, you really think you're a king? I mean... We, we, we all know who the figurehead king in Israel is. It's, it's the Herods, and we all know who the ultimate emperor is. You really think you're a king? One of the other gospel writers tells us that he talks to him privately, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, Pilate. Yes, I am a king, but my kingdom doesn't operate like... If, if my kingdom operated like world empires operate... You know, world empires line up against one another and they go headlong and whoever's got the most standing at the end wins. Jesus said, my kingdom work like the world's kingdoms. <laughs> well, well, I would just call all of my armies to step up and it'd be done before it even got started. But you see, my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom is of another world. I mean, it operates differently than the kingdoms of this world. We, we need to remember that. We need to remember that as, as Christians in a nation with, with a whole lot of weapons, ready to take those weapons to whoever would say, we got to remember, we, we, we might do that as a nation and try to do that justly, but God's not in the background going, let them have it, boys. That's not how his kingdom operates. We got to remember that. We've got to remember that that ain't how God's kingdom works. What does God's kingdom work like? 
laying down his life in the face of injustice and illegalities. You think you're a king? Not of this world. Oh, well, you're not a threat to Caesar. Okay, guys, I've held my, my little hearing here. I'm going to let him go. He's not, he's not guilty of anything. No, 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 you can't. He's stirring up things all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. Wait, 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 wait. You said from where? From Galilee. Oh, well, in that case, he's not under my jurisdiction anyway. I'll send him to Herod, who, because of Passover, was also staying in town. Trial number, uh, trial number five. They take him from Pilate, and they run him over to Herod's place, who was all too excited to see him. Because he'd been trying to see him for all along. He saw Jesus as this traveling magician that he wanted to be entertained by. And as he questioned him and goaded him, as he abused him in his presence... We learn that Jesus kept his mouth shut. And so when Herod had had all the fun he could have with him, you're not going to sing and dance. You're not going to do your show. Well, let's drape a kingly robe around you since you think you're the king of the Jews. Pilate, I don't know, man. I, I can't find anything in him at all. I can't even get him to talk to me. This guy's not a threat to anybody. And so we see in verse number 13, trial number 6, Pilate's again in the face of Jesus. And he calls all the leaders together. He's like, look, I've not been able to find anything in him. Herod's not been able to find anything in him. I'm just going to teach him a lesson publicly. I'm going to have him flogged, which if you have no idea what that is, It's not just public humiliation. It's bringing someone to near death through the cat of nine tails on a bare back. Many of which died in that process. Guys, what I'm going to do, I'm going to punish him good. I'm going to let everybody know that whatever you're saying, that you you can't even be accused of that, but I'm not putting him to death. Has he done anything? And yet they continued to demand, crucify, crucify, crucify. What I don't have time to tell you is, is that Pilate has been in hot water with the emperor over these people. Pilate has done some things that really offended them, and they sent word to Caesar about what Pilate did, and Pilate got his hand popped by the emperor. And so, look, I don't need you making trouble in these places that are paying me and I've got a gravy train from. So Pilate knew that if he overstepped too big, he, he might not only be removed from his job, he, he might be removed from his head. So Pilate's trying to keep peace, yet at the same time, he's trying to let this man go. So he decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to trade off. If I offer them the exchange of a prisoner that none of them would want, because he is an insurrectionist, surely they'll want this nobody that has just been beaten almost to death. They'll have pity on him and we can just move on. Yet when given the opportunity, they screamed for the murderer to be released So that Jesus might be crucified. 
And in one of the other gospels, Pilate goes, bring me some water. I'm going to wash my hands of this. You people are bloodthirsty. Crucify him. Which is the verdict in verse 24 and 25. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. For whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. The Jews weren't able to execute. Only the Roman governor of a province could. Pilate could have let him go. But a fear of his own skin, he in a cowardly fashion gave them what they wanted. And Jesus wasn't drug off the stage kicking and screaming because of injustice. In as much strength as he had, he walked and embraced the cross that he was going to carry. We'll see that to, uh, next, next Sunday. We'll see that walk. We'll see a connection in the Old Testament to what's going to be done to him. But this verdict, as unjust as it was, was from eternity past under the sovereignty of God's plan. So we see the illegal trials. We see the unjust verdict. But the last thing I want to show you before we pray and go is the obedient Savior. And I want to draw your attention to the words of, of Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. First, we see the obedient Savior who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're going to We're going to go to the end for them. Yes, we are. You're going to put on flesh and and you're going to be one of them, identified with them. And it's going to require that you allow them to reject you. And it's going to be wrong. It's going to go contrary to our righteousness. That's right. You're going to walk into the face of that. You're going to bear the burden of that. Yes, I am. But through that will come victory. To the eyes of everyone watching, it will seem like a complete waste and failure. But you're walking the path to victory. Yes, I am. And I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. I know you are. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him a name that is above every name. The obedient Savior. Two thoughts. Number one. Like Barabbas. The prisoner held to be put to death. Justly. Like Barabbas. We are the guilty ones. Who can experience release because of Jesus' obedience. I heard one preacher, I I know we're going a little bit further than we normally do. I heard one preacher describe what Barabbas might have heard. 
if he was being held in a cell that had only limited ability to hear. When Pilate says, I can release to you Barabbas or this one Jesus called the king of the Jews. Who, who do you pick? And all Barabbas hears is the screams of the crowds saying, Barabbas, Barabbas. Is it possible that he heard his name screamed by the mobs? And then Pilate saying, well, what shall I do then with this Jesus who's called the king of the Jews? And the mob scream, crucify, crucify. What was Barabbas hearing? Barabbas, crucify. Barabbas, crucify. When the guards came and opened the door, what was he given? Freedom. Why? Because Jesus took that on himself. It's not right. It's not fair. But it is glorious, is it not? Faithfully following Jesus, number two, should create in us a willingness to endure mistreatment for God's glory. Faithfully following Jesus should create in us a willingness to be mistreated if it will bring God glory. That's a hard pill to swallow. We're obviously not talking about spousal or child abuse, but rather walking into situations where my rights might be ignored in order for God's glory to be seen and heard. The closer we follow to Jesus, the more that'll make sense. So let's keep following him and watch him teach us what it means to suffer righteously if that is God's will. Amen? Let's stand together. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, his death for you in your place, for your sin, will set you free if by faith you will trust in Him and Him completely. And then what He does is He brings you into the family. He frees you and He sets you on His path for the remainder of your earthly life to continue the work of His ministry as we pursue His will. And his glory. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, today'd be a great day to know him. Just recognizing by faith who you are and what you need, and knowing what Jesus has provided. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for your son. God, we thank you so much for his willingness to lay down himself. To submit submit himself to surrender himself in obedience to allow himself to be engulfed by all that is unjust so that by doing so he might win the victory and we thank you i pray that you will help us to recognize just exactly what we've received from your hand and the, the investment of of god the son We thank you for the spirit who is indwelling all of your children. 
pointing us in the, in the way of Christ, reminding us of the words of Christ, and, and active to bring out the character of Christ in our life if we'll simply follow obediently and faithfully. And we ask that that's exactly what you'll turn ourselves toward. Now we look forward to the week to come. We ask that you will show us what things need to just be submitted to for the sake of your glory. And to be able to do so with confidence in something far greater than our rights or our judicial systems. And that is your love, your power, and your presence. God, I pray for the needs that are, that are being felt right now in all of these families. God, I thank you for the students that are going to be going to camp today. Going to be under the sound of the gospel for a whole week, many times during the day. I pray that you will use that as an opportunity to solidify those that are already followers of your son. I pray that you will draw those that are not to yourself, that they might recognize their need and that they might come to you by faith in your son. We pray for protection. We pray for uh, safety as they travel. We pray that you'll give them a great time. Bring them back to us with stories that they can share that will excite our hearts and encourage us to follow you more closely. God, we love you. We trust you. We thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, 